the 10th show, everybody. Everyone else is being celebrated this weekend. Where's my celebration? Back in a smidge. Let's take this one up to the good part, kids. Greetings, salutations. It's the Bitterness and Rage Show. I am Rob, your king of bitterness, your emperor of rage. It is my 10th show, double-digit action. It's hot. How can you reach me before we begin? At Bitter and Rage in your Twitter machines. You can find the showgram at bitternessandrage.podbean.com. Subscribe, leave some nice comments, say some wonderful things about America's favorite podcast sensation. And you can always email me with your thoughts, concerns, complaints, hopes, dreams, criticisms. Bitternessandrage at gmail.com. Got a big one for you today. All sorts of stuff. We're going to talk baseball playoffs with my good friend Chris Morelli. We are going to pay a small tribute to a superstar whose career and retirement has gone largely unnoticed. Um, the difficulty of being a fan of a particular uh, NFL franchise, how Jameis Winston is no Johnny Manziel. Perhaps, if we have time, we will talk about premature and unnecessary celebrating in the National Football League. We have the always exciting QSR Spotlight. And a special constitutional version, just hang in there kids and you'll find out why, a constitutional version of the Britterness and Rage show, Britterness? The Bitterness and Rage show, Dope of the Week. But I want to begin with an article I found on foodbeast.com about something different to be adding to your coffee, all you coffee achievers out there. Most of America and most of the world, millions of people... When they have their coffee, the dairy product additive that they add it would be half and half or cream, milk, sometimes a non-dairy creamer, who knows. But according to this article in foodbeast.com, if you really want to do a body good, if you really want to add that extra oomph, that kick, that dairy kick to your coffee, it's not cream. It's not milk. It's butter. Butter. That's right, I said it. A nice stick of butter in your coffee. Well, not a stick of butter. That would be unnecessarily disgusting. But super creamy. Creepy word. So here are five reasons, according to Ford. Ford Foodbeast.com. Great show so far. That's two times I tripped over my own tongue. Two. Uh, the over-under today is ten on how many times I do that. So here are five reasons, according to Foodbeast.com, while butter is better for you than cream or milk. Number one, only grass-fed butter has the right fats that regulate cholesterol, not add to it. I feel like David Letterman now. Number two, where's the drum roll? Where's Paul Schaefer? Number two, it provides healthy fats for your brain and body to create cell walls and hormones. Number three, drinking it each morning puts your body in the routine to burn fat all day, helping you trim down overnight. Four, a bulletproof... Quote, bulletproof coffee is coffee with butter in it. Bulletproof coffee may give you energy as well as increased cognitive function that you can literally feel for about six hours and without the crash. And number five, two tablespoons of butter in your coffee is all you need to replace a breakfast meal altogether, uh, making it perfect for people on the go. Two tablespoons of butter. I think the best part, personally, about butter in your coffee is the sheer joy of taking out a stick of butter and just stirring the coffee with that old golden bar. Imagine being in Starbucks and you've got your your milk urn, and that's what they call them. Lovely word, isn't it? Urn. You have your milk urn, your dairy urn, your half and half urn. Milk. Cream, not dairy. That's three if you're keeping score at home. Milk, cream, half and half. And then you look over on that little ledge there at the Starbucks, wedged in between the artificial sweeteners and the wooden coffee sticks to stir your coffee. Sticks of butter. Margarine, perhaps, for those of you that enjoy your butter on the artificial side. 
or for those that are having a meat meal and are trying to keep kosher, butter in your coffee. We'll do a follow-up show uh, sometime in the future as to how many people did the butter in their coffee thing and are now finding themselves with massive, massive heart problems, but really shiny coats. Okay, enough futzing around. Let's talk some sports. I want to begin today before we dovetail into some baseball talk with Chris Morelli about the retirement of another superstar. If you're like me, you've got Derek Jeter fatigue. So here's a story not about Derek Jeter, but about another superstar. Another superstar plays in a major top 10 market. Another superstar who's a world champion. Another superstar with Hall of Fame statistics. Another superstar who may find himself a first ballot Hall of Famer one day. A superstar that many of you listening still don't know to whom I'm referring. I'm talking about number 14 himself, first baseman for your Chicago White Sox, Paul Canerco. Now, none of you out there going, who? Because if you're even a casual baseball fan, you know who he is. But Canerco has had the misfortune this year of retiring at the same time as Mr. Bright Lights, Mr. Big City, Derek Jeter. And so this retirement, and quite frankly his career, is going to be obscured somewhat by the non-stop celebrating and non-stop farewells for Derek Jeter. And I don't want to take anything away from Jeter. This is not a bash Derek Jeter session. But I do want to just highlight just for a second the career and accomplishments of Paul Canerco and what Paul Canerco meant to the city of Chicago. His on-the-field accomplishments are fairly impressive. 400 home runs, 400 uh, doubles, 2,000 hits, 1,000 runs, 1,000 RBIs. That's put you in some pretty exalted company. I'm not going to sit here and run down the whole list of names, but it's rarefied air. It's Hall of Fame air. Now, six-time All-Star, one World Series championship, American League Championship Series MVP, incredibly memorable Grand Slam in the World Series in 2005 when the White Sox swept the Houston Astros. And that's all very impressive. And some will say, well, Derek Jeter had five championships and was an all-star more times. Forget all that. Forget comparing the number of championships. Let's talk about what the impact of those championships was. Winning championships in New York is nothing new for Gotham. They've won more than any other team in baseball by far. Not even a close race. In 2005, when the Sox, the White Sox, won their world championship, it had been since 1917, 88 seasons. And many of those seasons were seasons of futility, seasons of hopelessness, seasons of really, really bad uniforms. So Canerco comes along, and he's not solely responsible. I mean, that team had a lot of great players on it. He's not solely responsible for them winning. But his mere presence and his play at first base and his play in the playoffs and leading the team and being the team captain and being the rock, the cornerstone of that team, is he solely responsible? No, but without him, they don't win that World Series. So by bringing a world championship to a city that was starved for a baseball championship, yes, I know they had football championships and obviously a, a, a pile, handfuls of basketball championships. But that one world series, especially in a town in which its loyalties are divided between the White Sox and the Cubs, who are the embodiment, the textbook definition of futility, that one World Series, that one championship means more to that city and ultimately to baseball itself than those five World Series championships that Derek Jeter won. So the on-the-field accomplishments, maybe not as great if you're looking at it objectively, and that's arguable whether or not they had the same impact. Certainly Derek Jeter's off-the-field accomplishments are accomplishments that the 
quintessential family man, Paul Canerco, with his wife and three kids. He'll never match that. And again, we can argue about the on the field accomplishments, but ladies and gentlemen, Bitterness and Rage Show listeners, make no mistake about it. We are saying goodbye to not one, but two impactful, important superstars. This weekend, we are saying goodbye to two players, the likes of which we may never see again, or at least not see for a very long time. So when you're looking back on the 2014 season, it's not just about Derek Jeter. It's not just about saying goodbye to the captain in New York. It's about saying goodbye to the captain in Chicago. So thank you, Paul Canerco. On behalf of all your fans, thank you. So here's one place where he will not be overlooked or forgotten, like we've seen uh, with other places who have just talked about Derek Jeter, as though he's the only one retiring this year. And now, since we're talking about baseball, let's talk Major League Baseball playoffs and a playoff preview. I am pleased now to be joined by my good friend Chris Morelli, the managing editor of the Center County Gazette, way up yonder in Pennsylvania. Uh, who's been kind enough on a good-looking Saturday to give me a few minutes of his time to talk about the upcoming Major League Baseball playoffs, which begin potentially Monday with all of the uh, playoff games, uh, just to decide who's the wild card and who the division winners are, but certainly on Wednesday. Uh, welcome, Chris. How are you this evening? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for, thanks for having me on the show. No problem. Um, okay, so let me just say before we begin that I love... I enjoy following you on Twitter. Please tell everybody how they can follow you on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Chris Morelli. Pretty simple. At Chris Morelli. See, I like the simple names. Um, <laughs> I enjoy going on to my own Twitter machine and seeing, uh, following you and seeing your hashtag raise it. Uh, especially when you go, oh, by the way, you can hashtag raise it. So I will, we'll start with the American League so that, you know, you can at the end depant yourself and talk about the... Uh, Pittsburgh Pirates in the National League playoffs. But let's start with the American League. Um, the whole world, first of all, the whole world is talking about how Oakland just completely disappeared after the Cespedes trade, and they essentially crowned Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim of California, of the great state of California of Anaheim, or whatever their name is today, uh, as the American League champions. You agree, disagree, and remember, I am an Orioles fan. So don't make me don't don't make me hang up on you in the middle of the interview. No, I um, uh, you know I look at the American League, and I, I'll be honest, I don't follow the American League as closely as the National, obviously because of my allegiance to the, the Pittsburgh Pirates. But um, certainly, you look at the American League, and I, I don't I don't necessarily view it as a one team race. I think that you know the Orioles, the way they're playing, uh, impressive. Um, the, the Royals, I, I think, are a team. You know, they're one of those teams that get hot. Right. You have to keep an eye on them. They, 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 you know, they, they, they scare the heck out of me. I got to tell you, because yeah. they are, they have yeah. nothing. They have nothing to lose in this playoffs because no one thought they'd be here. No, no, I, I don't remember anybody really talking about them preseason. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a franchise that kind of mirrors Pittsburgh in the fact that it's been, I think, since '85. Right. Since they've even been to the playoffs, so it's been a long time that they're hungry. That the city, you know, Kansas City in general, I believe, is pretty hungry for a, a winner. Right. Um, so I think they're a, they're a team that, that could get hot and and certainly make some noise. But um, you know, a team like Detroit um, is probably a, a definitely a team to watch. But I think I don't want to say it's wide open, um, but I think you've got some parity there and. Uh, um, I mean, you know, I like what I see from all these teams. They're they're exciting to watch. Yeah, I mean, let, let's talk about Detroit just for a second. I mean, they've got that murderer's row pitching of uh, Scherzer and Verlander and Price. Although in the regular season after the trade, they weren't all that impressive. But that's a lot of experience in the playoffs that scares the heck out of you if you are a fan of any of the other teams. Do we think Detroit uh, right. has what it takes to to get there to get over the hump? I, you know, I do. I, I, I look at their pitching, and I think pitching is what, you know, it's a cliche, but you could say pitching and defense win championships. I think, um, I, I 
think like you mentioned, the murderers row of pitching that they have is just. I think that's going to be tough to beat. Um, you know, come come NL, yes, come or excuse me, ALDS, DS time. I, that's why if, if you had to, if you're asking, put me on the spot, ask me to pick a team, that's probably what I pick to get out of there. But right. again, I think like. Uh, I watched the Orioles the other night, and I gotta tell you, I mean, the way they're playing ball, um, they're impressive, and, and I think they're hungry as well. And that's again, you're, you know, you're there, you'd know. I think that that city is hungry for a, uh, you know, yeah, baseball champion. Baseball obviously just had a football champion, but this is they're hungry for a winner. This is going to be very self-serving, but I mean, imagine how well the Orioles would be doing if they had Weeders, who's arguably the best catcher in the American League, if they had Machado, who can be the best in the best third baseman when he wants to be, if they had Chris Davis with, I mean, his batting average was, you know, terrible, but he certainly hits the ball out of the yard. And we can say for another time whether or not um, he's going down the Ryan Braun route, but they have the best manager in baseball in Buck Showalter. So my money is always on a really good manager. They have good pitching. They have a good bullpen. I would say this team is better positioned than it was in 2012. That was a very disappointing year. But that, again, was a year that it was almost a mirage because they did really well, but their run differential was insanely negative for a team that was um, in the playoffs. So my expectations are a little higher. But, yes, hungry in Baltimore is an understatement considering it's been 31 years since they've been to the World Series. But like Kansas right. City, their last their last trip to the World Series was a successful one. So, so we'll see. Um, we're not if Oakland and it's a it's a real logjam to see who's going to be in who the wild card team is going to be. But let's assume it's going to be Oakland because right now they're in the driver's seat. We have no expectations from Oakland, do we? I, you know, I really don't. I um, you know, and their team also that I think, like you mentioned, I think they. They just seem to not, they're not playing, I want to say, they're not peaking at the right time, in my opinion. Right. Um, I feel like, you know, I feel like there's work to do there. Um, and I just don't see them, and maybe they'll surprise me, but I don't see them getting out of there um, and, and making a whole lot of noise in the postseason. They're just, they're just one of those teams I'm not, I'm not blown away by, let's say that. But, like, teams like Baltimore, teams like Detroit, those are the teams that, um, that I'm really impressed with. And, again... It's tough for me because I don't get to see much AL stuff, or I don't watch it maybe enough AL stuff right. night in, night out. But from the glimpses that I've seen, and you mentioned Buck Showalter, he's the to me he's the wild card because he is a guy who knows how to push buttons, he knows how to motivate his team and get them fired up. Right. And uh, I, I really like. I mean, there's a guy I really like. If, if we didn't have Clay Hurdle in Pittsburgh. Uh, Buck Showalter would be a guy that I'd, I'd love to have managing my baseball team. All right, so your your pick out of the American League is Detroit, then. I'm gonna go with Detroit. Yeah. Okay. We'll mark that one down and see how see how that one turns. All right, let's let's now turn to your wheelhouse, uh, the senior circuit, the National League. Are you as sick of everyone anointing the Nationals as the best in the National League as I am? Yeah, because I've seen them play this year and. Um, I mean, while I'm impressed, I don't know. I don't know that they're the best in the NL, and I'm, I'm not going to be a homer and say my Pirates are because I know that's not true. Right. Um, but, but what I would say is, when you've got you, you know, I, I watch. Uh, I have a family member now who lives. My brother lives out in LA, so I watch the Dodgers when I can when they're on uh, ESPN, and, and he's he's becoming somewhat of a Dodger fan. So I, I watch the Dodgers from time to time. And I gotta tell you, a guy like uh, Clayton Kershaw is just so impressive. Right. There's a guy who, who you know, I love Andrew McCutcheon, uh, but you're talking NL MVP. You probably, you probably got to give it to Kershaw just because of what he's been able to do. I think <laughs> it's, the Dodgers would be my pick out of the National League over the Nationals. Right. Well, I'm not trying to take anything away from Washington. I think they got a, obviously a very good club. Well, they have they have five starting pitchers that scare you. The Dodgers have a really good yeah. one-two punch of Kershaw and Greinke, but the the Nats have five guys, one of whom they're putting a 15-game winner into the bullpen. I mean, that should a 15-game winner, by the way, with a sub-three ERA. That that should tell you something right there. But there's just something 
I, I can't put my finger on, but there's something about the Nationals. I think probably it's their their lack of any real power. I mean, your your boy Adam LaRoche, former Pirate, supplies you know the most power on the Nationals team, but they're not a team that frightens you at the plate, um, whereas the Dodgers can. What about the Cardinals? You know, you never bet against the Cardinals in the playoffs. No, and you, you, you talk about pitching, and I, I witnessed it firsthand last year. You know, you see guys like Wainwright going out and just throwing up goose eggs at you. Right. Um, St. Louis has been, obviously, a thorn in Pittsburgh's side, and the Pirates, have they not been swept by the Cardinals at the beginning of September, probably are... are division winners instead they're looking at hard at a wild card um so uh, st louis has the experience and the pedigree but i think it's tough i think it's tough in this game you know to go and repeat as not only a division champion but a league champion obviously a world series champion doesn't have doesn't happen all that often right repeating i mean so i don't while i'm impressed with the cardinals and their bats and their arms, I don't see them getting out of the NL. Right. They get to the LCS, but I don't like them to go all the way to the, the fall classic. This year. Right, and I would I would be remiss, of course, if I didn't mention the Giants. I mean, with the quietest superstar I've ever seen in Buster Posey, I mean, that team has won two of the last four World Series, so you can't take them lightly either. And their no, pitching, their the pitching staff is something good. The experience factor for the Giants is huge. Um, you know, it, you know, as we record this, it looks like they're they're going to be coming to Pittsburgh for a wild card game. I think the one advantage the Pirates have is uh, they've got an electric atmosphere. Talk about a fan base that is starved for a winner. Right. Um, the Pirates fans are. You saw the atmosphere last year when the Reds came to PNC Park for the wild card. I'm I'm hopeful. And again, I'm going to sound like a homer. I'm hopeful it's going to be difficult for the Giants to travel across country and come to PNC, where the fans are probably going to have another blackout where everybody wears black T-shirts and jerseys. Right. So that's going to be difficult, I would think. But again, you know, when you get down to one game, that's when it that's when it's tough to to have everything come down to one game. You hate to have your team in that wild card spot because of that. Uh, but the Giants certainly, with the experience they have, are. Uh, a very dangerous team in the postseason. Yeah, there is there is no unlike the American League, there's not a team in the National League right now that I would count out. I mean, you could honestly see any one of those teams making it out of the National League. Um, so your pick then uh, for the National League, putting you on the spot yet again, is do- the Dodgers. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Dodgers out of the NL just because I I think you know you mentioned Washington. I don't know that they have the playoff experience. Uh, St. Louis certainly has it. But I just think the Dodgers, um, to me, that the times I've watched them, the times I've seen them, they just seem like a, a, a team that is really a big cohesive unit. Mm-hmm. And I, I like the way they're playing ball. So if I got to pick a team, and I, again, I can't be a homer. I don't think the Pirates have the arms to get out of the, the NLDS this year right. uh, if they get that far. Um, so I'm going to go with the Dodgers to uh, to get to the fall classic. All right, I'll, I'll tell you, if you're a Nationals fan, a couple of weeks ago you were thinking that you were going to play, you were going to avoid playing both St. Louis and Los Angeles, but the nightmare scenario for them, if Pittsburgh manages to to win that division, is another first-round game against St. Louis if they were to make it out of the wild-card game. So all, all of Washington, all of Washington is rooting for you guys. Uh, to lose and be uh, the wild card team instead of division winner. So go Pirates. Sure. Go Pirates. I hope that that nightmare scenario comes true for Washington because well, quite, quite frankly, I'm tired of being surrounded by national fans who bash me because I have the audacity to be an Oriole fan when there was no baseball in Washington for most of my life. So I'm going to raise it. Go Pirates. <laughs> you got to raise it every once in a while. Yeah. All right. Well, Chris, thank you. I appreciate you taking some time out in a busy and, uh, from a football standpoint, disappointing Saturday. Um, hope we can call on yeah. you again as we get closer to the World Series. So remember, it's Detroit out of the AL, Los Angeles out of the National League, and the winner of the World Series before I let you go? Well, I knew you were, I knew you were going to ask me Of that. course. And I, I, I'm going to go with the Dodgers in seven. 
All right. Sounds good. And I, I, I can't stand Detroit, so I'm glad you made that pick. Chris, buddy, thank you for spending a few minutes with me. All right, bye. Once again, let me say thank you to Chris Morelli, managing editor of the Center County Gazette, for uh, helping us out with a little baseball preview. And you heard it here first, folks, the Dodgers over the Tigers in seven games, a seven-game series. I want to turn my attention now from baseball to football and the continuing saga, the sad, sad story of this year's Johnny Manziel. And I'm talking, of course, about... Florida State quarterback Jameis Winston, who seems to be following in the footsteps of Johnny Menzel as much as possible. And I'm not just talking about being a freshman winning the Heisman Trophy. And I'm not just talking about his massive success and total celebrity and the fact that NFL scouts are salivating over the prospect of this guy playing for them. No, no. I'm talking about the sheer and utter knuckle-headedness with which Jameis Winston seems to carry himself. Jameis Winston, as I said, following in the footsteps of Johnny Manziel, has just committed one knuckle-headed act after another without any sort of self-awareness. And I hope all of you Johnny Manziel haters are listening, by the way, um, because... You're looking at another guy who's going down the same road. I'm no Johnny Manziel apologist, but what Jameis Winston is doing exceeds what Manziel has done. For all of Manziel's knuckleheadedness, he found himself a first-round draft pick in the NFL. And even though he's not playing right now, and he's been outplayed by the second and third-string quarterbacks, at least um, preseason depth chart-wise in Hoyer and Connor Shaw, Brian Hoyer and Connor Shaw, He's on an NFL team, and everything he did, you could overlook. But when you look at Jameis Winston, sadly, I don't think people are shying away from him in terms of NFL future because of Johnny Menzel. They're shying away from him because this guy lacks a certain kind of self-awareness that you desperately need out of your quarterback. If you're going to build a franchise around a quarterback, you look at this guy and you scratch your head and go, does Winston know that he has an incredibly bright NFL future that he is just tossing away? Because he doesn't get it. And the physical gifts are very, very, very important in the NFL. Almost as important as the mental gifts. You gotta have what's you gotta have something upstairs if you're gonna make it in the NFL, if you're gonna impress the scouts, impress general managers, impress the owners. And um last I checked, the NFL is uh they're take the shield's taking kind of a hit. Shield's looking a little tarnished. So they don't want to invite any more knuckleheads to the party. So let's just take a little stroll down memory lane with Winston, shall we? In addition to having a absolutely fantastic freshman season with the Heisman, the national championship victory over Auburn. Winston was, and I'm, I'm reading now from the diary, the book of Winston, if you will. Look, you can hear the paper rustling under the microphone. So there's a sexual assault complaint that was filed this past November. Right? Sexual assault. Now, we're not going to say anything about that. There's nothing really humorous about sexual assault. We all know what happened there. It threatened to derail him in the national championship game. And shockingly, the good people in the state of Florida decided to put that, make that case, quote, inactive, whatever that means. No charges filed, but no charges dropped. It's inactive. This amorphous sort of made-up loophole in the law, which allows their Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks to play for the national championship. He was accused in 2013, same year, great year banner year for Jameis Winston um, at a Burger King for trying to steal soda. Uh, I'm sorry to laugh at this, but Winston, what are you doing? He wanted some soda badly, so instead of buying a soda, instead of asking for a water cup to get the soda, which he ultimately did, ask for a water cup and then continue to steal soda. He was using ketchup cups. You know those tiny little plastic cups? He was using ketchup cups 
to try to steal soda. And I guess the the poor put out people at the Burger King tried to stop him just because he looked ridiculous, not necessarily because he was shoplifting. Then when he asked for a water cup and he started taking soda, that's when he got belligerent, and that's when the police had to come. And then there's the infamous Publix, that's P-U-B-L-I-X, Publix store crab leg shoplifting incident in which he tried to walk out of the store, walk out of Publix with crab legs shoved in his pants to which he claimed he forgot that he had them, then forgot that he had paid for them as well. And then most recently, earlier this month, he was suspended first for a half, and then when public outcry got too loud for the, an entire game against Clemson, uh, for standing up in the middle of a dining hall, standing on a table in the student union building, and shouting out an obscenity. Now, I can't tell you, because this is a G-rated program, what that obscenity was, but he basically was yelling for people to procreate with another name, a euphemism for female genitalia, another name for cat, loudly in the middle of the student union. And it never occurred to him while he's standing there asking people to commit strange and unusual sex acts. Hey. Hey. Hey now. I'm Jameis Winston. Last year I won the Heisman. I could win it again this year. I could lead my team to another national championship. We are the top-ranked team in America. I've got millions of dollars piled up waiting for me in the NFL. I can hug Roger Goodell as the number one draft pick, get my hat, with the NFL team on it, get my new jersey. I can be on top of the world, but no. No, 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 no. Instead of being on top of the world, I want to be on top of this table making a total schmuck of myself. And you know what? If you're just some random Florida State student and you want to do that for a few yucks, a few giggles, fine. Good on you. Who am I to say to college kids, don't make an ass of yourself? That's what going to college is all about, quite frankly. But most of us are not Jameis Winston. Most of us are not Heisman Trophy winners. Most of us are not potential number one NFL draft picks. Most of us are not franchise quarterbacks or potentially franchise quarterbacks. So this total lack of self-awareness concerns me greatly. I forgot to mention, by the way, that the night of that BCS championship game, or not the night of, but the night before, at practice before the game, he, Jimbo Fisher, the coach at Florida State, threw Jameis Winston out of practice during practice for the two-minute drill. Yeah, let that sink in just for a second. The two-minute drill, which requires the most mental focus, it requires the most self-discipline, and last time I checked, it was actually run by the quarterback, and he was thrown out of it, and he's the starting quarterback. So having a two-minute drill without your quarterback, planning around your quarterback is incredibly telling, very, very revealing about the kind of person Jameis Winston is. So as much as we like to bash Johnny Manziel, his knuckleheadedness is the kind of knuckleheadedness one expects from a kid but ultimately did not detract from the salivating owners and general managers not detract from his future as an NFL quarterback Jameis Winston though is not doing himself any favors and by the way when he was suspended he showed up at that game in full pads and helmet which says to me either he was defying his coach and was going to play anyway, or he didn't know he'd been suspended. Maybe he thought that Fisher was just kidding with all that suspension stuff. Either way, it looks bad. Very, very bad. You look defiant and you look foolish. And each time that he gets into this kind of trouble, Jameis Winston apologizes and says it's not going to happen again, then it happens again. <laughs> so it's not just being a knuckleheaded kid. It's a guy who's throwing away what could be a bright future. It's a guy who's saying to NFL teams, I don't want to be your quarterback. Please don't draft me. Don't waste a number one 
first-round draft pick on me. But you know what team may end up throwing away a first-round draft pick on them? Because that would be par for the course for this team. That would be the Washington Redskins. My beloved Burgundy and Gold. I can still call them the Washington Redskins for now. For now. I've already gone on record saying what I think about the whole name controversy, and I won't rehash that here. I just want to take a moment to discuss how difficult it is to be a Redskins fan. That's my heavy sign to the microphone. The sadness that envelops me right now. A team that I've loved since as far back as I can remember. Since I was old enough to walk over the television set and change the channels, yes, in the days before remote, in the days when we all lived in caves and worshipped fire. I just, in the wake of this past Thursday's debacle against the New York Giants, the total boat racing at the hands of the New York football giants, the Gotham Warriors, I realize now that the hardest thing in my life is being a Redskins fan. The NFL is a wonderful league. And it's a league that when the season opens, when camps open in late summer, and I'm waxing poetic now, you can hear the lilt in my voice. There are 32 teams. I promised I wouldn't cry. There are 32 teams. And 31 of those teams, when the camps open, have a sense of optimism because the NFL, unlike most other leagues, is so unpredictable. It's so up and down. There's so much parity. There's so much drastic change that a team that's great one year is a bargain basement team. The next year, a team that's a poo-poo platter, the year, next year can become a division winner, maybe even a Super Bowl champion. Look at the Kansas City Chiefs. Up and down. Last year, great. This year, not so much. Okay, and you'll have other teams that last year were eh, kind of in the bottom, kind of scavenging along the ocean floor, and now this year they're at the top. And it remains to be seen, since we're only four games into the season, which team that'll be this year. But that's for 31 teams. If you're the fan of the Washington Redskins, you're that 32nd team, and every year it's the same thing. Unbridled optimism... And then the Titanic. The ship sets sail, and you realize very quickly as the season begins that there just is no hope. That the team will just be mired in obscurity, mired in mediocrity. And you do this, you just sigh. You just exhale, you just... We've now come to this as Redskin fans. We just accept. There's no more anger. There's no more bitterness. There's no more rage. There's just resignation. You just know that every year it's not going to be your year. Now, once in a while, 2005, 2007, 2013, there's a flash. Because nobody is that futile. Okay, there's been flashes of brilliance. But... Each time, since 1999, each time it's been the kind of flash of brilliance where we've had we. And yes, I'm going to say we, because I've suffered enough that I'm going to say we. I feel like I should put on a uniform. We have to win a bunch of games in, the, in a row at the end of the season with no margin for error to get into the playoffs. And it's been that way in 2005, 2007, 2013. Four-game winning streak, five-game winning streak, seven-game winning streak. Which is impressive. Winning streaks are always impressive. But there's none of that sustained excellence, that sustained goodness, where you're just one of those teams that have to be dealt with in the NFL. It's always, you look at the team and go, wow, that team, they're still kind of hanging around, and let's hope they don't make a run, then we do. And then it's usually followed by a quick playoff exit. So... I'd like to take you back to 1999, the uh, playoff game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with a chance to go to the NFC Championship game. And the Redskins are lining up for a potential game-winning field goal that would have sent us to the NFC Championship game. 
Dan Turk snaps the ball to Matt Turk, the punter, holding it. And the kicker at the time may have been Chris Jackie, but I have to go and check on that. I don't recall off the top of my head who the kicker was. But it was a bad snap. And it was a 51-yard field goal, so it's not exactly a given that it would have been made. But we never had the opportunity. There's a bad snap, and that's the end. Such is life. We lose that game. Tampa goes on to the NFC Championship game against the St. Louis Rams, who ultimately went on to win the Super Bowl that year. Since then, it's been 16 seasons of heartache, of misery, of frustration, of resignation. And I promised myself I was not going to yell and scream and spit into the microphone, and I'm not going to. I would just like to send out a heartfelt plea. I'd like to plead my case as to why it's so difficult to be a Redskins fan. We've suffered, and the suffering part is this. I work in a place that's filled with fans of other teams, especially NFC East teams, and I'm always getting just a whole lot of crap for following my beloved Skins. It's hard to walk into a room with your head held high and say, I'm a Redskins fan when they go out and they don't just lose, but they're a laughing stock. The organization is a joke. If they're going to change the name of the Washington Redskins, call themselves the Washington Fools, the Washington Jesters, the Washington Minstrels, because that's what we are now. The Redskins have become comic relief for the rest of the league. The Redskins have become... America's favorite homecoming game. Because when we're not spending all our money foolishly on free agents that just come and take our money like we're just one burgundy and gold ATM, we are puffing our chests out as though we're going to win the Super Bowl only to fall flat on our face. We brag every year in the offseason this is our year. We never dream of rebuilding. And then it turns out that the only people that thought we were going to go anywhere is us. And the NFL, in all of its wisdom, looks at the Redskins and says, here's a team that's loaded with history, and we are. In the first six or so decades of the NFL's existence, the Redskins were always with, you know, there were some lean years there in the 50s and early 60s. But for the most part, we're one of the historic franchises. We're a multiple Super Bowl, multiple NFL championship winning franchise. The Redskins produced one of the greatest players of all time, charter member of the National Football League Hall of Fame, and that's Sammy Baugh. The only number the Redskins have ever retired is number 33, the number Sammy wore. But that's leather helmet time, folks. That's a long time ago. So now that once storied franchise has become the butt of everyone's jokes, and the NFL looks at the Redskins and says, historic? Competitive at one time. Let's go ahead and put you on national television. And we go out on national television. Here's what the world finds out. That the Redskins fans tend to be outnumbered by the other fans. A few years ago, the Redskins played Pittsburgh on a Monday night game. And it was like a Pittsburgh home game. Pathetic. Our last... I think the statistic is correct. The last six Thursday night games we've appeared on, or the last six primetime games, the Redskins are a solid 0-6. Since 2008, they're 6-13 on primetime. And the Redskins don't just go out and lose in primetime. They lose in spectacular fashion. When the stakes are the highest, when the emotions run the deepest, and when the Redskins have the most to play for, you watch with great expectation they're going to live up to those expectations and then it's just flop city. And you hide your head and hang your head in shame. And then you have to go the next day and face your co-workers after a week of talking about the Redskins and then the game comes on Sunday or Thursday or Monday and the next day you're hanging your head. And there are some that are afraid to ask. There are some that are sensitive. But most just want to chide you and hassle you and bother you and make you feel like a total dope. They make you feel like the dope of the week, the bitterness and rage show dope of the week. 
it's tough. And there's only so much that a fan base can take when year after year you feel like your team is just taking your money, smiling at you, patting you on the back, pocketing the money, and putting that. And for those of you not watching on TV, I'm pointing, putting that, whatever that is that is supposed to be a professional football team, whatever that is, that's your product. And I don't know, folks. Coach after coach, GM, no GM, talented players, untalented players. You just feel cursed. You get a once-in-a-generation star like Robert Griffin III, and he can't stay healthy. You draft another quarterback that same year, and you think, well, we've got two really good quarterbacks. So Robert Griffin goes down the tubes, Kirk Cousins steps in, and we won't miss a beat. And he stinks. Okay, maybe he's not as bad as he showed against the Giants, but he's certainly not as good as he showed against the Eagles this year. So where is he? Somewhere in the middle, perhaps mediocre. I would say that the quarterback of the future for the Washington Redskins is not on this team. So all this quarterback controversy, Michigas, is pointless because neither of these guys are going to lead us to the promised land. And quite frankly, I don't know who's going to lead us to the promised land. There's been one constant through all of this for the Washington Redskins, and that's the owner, Dan Snyder. Now, it's easy pickings. It's low-hanging fruit, especially where I live, to blame Dan Snyder for what ails the Redskins. But he's the constant. And I'm not sure how. And I'm not sure why. Because he's Johnny fan. He loves the Redskins. He's a boyhood fan who got who he achieved every kid's fantasy. He got to own an NFL franchise. See, for most kids, they want to play for an NFL franchise. For my people, we want to own an NFL franchise. I mean, he's got the Redskins belt buckle he's had since he's a kid. He loves them. I'm not mad at him. He wants to buy the team. He can buy the team. It's better to have a fan buying the team who is invested in his future, not just someone who's looking at it as an investment. But my God, this team has gone from a once proud tradition of NFL football to a dumpster fire. And every once in a while, the dumpster fire gets put out and we crawl into the playoffs after having had to win every game, not, you know, being able to relax. We even brought back St. Joe, Joe Gibbs, the greatest coach in Redskins history, who got us in his four years to the playoffs twice. But even he couldn't do it. I know people say, well, the game passed him by. Blah, 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 blah. The man's a football genius. So what was holding him back? What was holding Marty Schottenheimer back? What's been holding this team back? Are we cursed? Is it bad ownership? Is it a toxic, losing, we accept losing kind of environment? Yes, yes, and yes. So have some pity. Have some sympathy. Have some mercy on those of us that suffer. Suffer. Us Redskin fans. I'll tell you one thing. I do hold my head up high for one reason, that is... I'm proud of myself that I still am a fan of this team. It's easy to be a fan of the Seahawks. Easy to be a fan of the Packers. Easy to be a fan of the Steelers, the Broncos, the Patriots. Quality organizations. The Ravens just up the street. If Snyder would look out his window, stand on some phone books. Cheap shot, I know. Thank you. I'll be here all week. Stand on some phone books and look out the window up the road, up 95 and see how a real organization is run. Yes, they have their share of criminals, some of which have statues erected to them, but they've won a couple of Super Bowls in the same time that Snyder's been the owner of the Redskins because they know how to do things right from a football standpoint. Sure, from a PR standpoint, from a hypocrisy standpoint, maybe not, but they know how to do things right. So the next time you see me, have some sympathy, have some mercy. I thank you. And the Redskins, thank you. All right, I'm looking at my uh, show clock again, so we're going to skip the NFL celebration stuff. Just let me say, if you haven't seen the video of Stephen Tullock of the Detroit Lions doing the discount double-check celebration after a sack of Rodgers, please check it out. Oh, and memo to Stephen Tullock and the rest of the league, 
Rogers hasn't done the discount double check in a long time. So stop. I think he stopped doing it because they made a commercial out of it. And even he feels like an ass doing that. Instead, let us turn our attention to the QSR Spotlight. As always, the QSR Spotlight is a production of, or is sponsored by, the Junk Food Guy and his podcast, The Nos Show. You can check out his blog at thejunkfoodguy.com. And, of course, on your tweeters, at Junk Food Guy. Why don't you give him a follow? Say some nice things about him. Tell him I said hello. Okay, first on the menu... Carl's Jr. and Hardee's have introduced the new Mile High Bacon Cheese Thick Burger, featuring thick-cut applewood smoked bacon piled on top of a black Angus beef thick burger patty. American cheese, red onion, tomato, lettuce, and mayonnaise finish off this colossal masterpiece. In the press release, the CEO says, they aren't using just any kind of bacon. We're using a hefty serving of thick-cut applewood smoked bacon pieces. The burger, and I'm quoting... This burger is bursting with bacon goodness in every bite. Uh, White Castle is threatening to lose all of its customers by launching a veggie slider. White Castle today announced the Cravers, to its Cravers, loyalty members, that a veggie slider is coming to the chain's menu. But first, the brand is looking for the right complimentary sauce. I got an idea for complimentary sauce. How about get the hell out of here sauce? A veggie slider? I hear your sauce choices that America gets to vote on. Sweet Heat, Harissa, that's roasted red pepper sauce, chipotle lime ketchup, blech, or no sauce. I would say vote for no sauce, vote for no sliders made of vegetables. It's White Castle. You want a salad, get a salad. I'm sorry, I just I have the chills just thinking about it. Um, here is your latest offering in the um, Halloween fall enough with the pumpkin spice. Um, If you go to my Twitter page, you'll see that I've retweeted and commented on pumpkin spice hummus. Um, So you can look at that. But in the meantime, here's a couple other things that, again, we've gone pumpkin spice crazy here in Rocktober. Uh, Caramel apple Twizzlers. Disgusting. Um, And they're filled with something that looks like pumpkin, but Lord knows what it tastes like. Pumpkin Spice Twizzlers. And from the ruining a good thing department, Pumpkin Spice Nestle Toll House Morsels. Folks, Nestle Toll House Morsels are perfect. They're the perfect confection. They do not need to be slathered and ruined by Pumpkin Spice. So Nestle, again, please, please, for all love of all that is holy, nix the Pumpkin Spice Toll House Morsels. All right, um... On to something much more pleasurable. Uh, Snyder's of Hanover, they make those gloriously delightful, delicious um, pretzel pieces. The flavored pretzel pieces, their newest offering is maple bacon. I don't need to say anything about that other than delicious. Maple bacon pretzel pieces. Grab them by the handful. Uh, Krispy Kreme is celebrating the 30th anniversary of Ghostbusters. We've talked about that. In fact, the last time Chris was on the show, we talked about Ghostbusters. Krispy Kreme is coming out uh, September 29th, that's Monday through Halloween, two marshmallow-filled Krispy Kreme donuts, one with the Ghostbusters logo and the other looking like the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. Now you'll find me front and center at the Krispy Kreme. I'm not a big Krispy Kreme fan, but for the Ghostbusters donuts, sign me up. Perhaps the biggest news, though, in the QSR Spotlight this week is for Jack in the Box, which for you East Coasters is nothing but a myth that such a glorious place exists, but for you West Coasters, you know what I'm talking about. Jack in the Box has a new menu, the Jack's Munchie Meal. For those people that enjoy a few adult beverages, um, a few semi-illegal forms of vegetation after hours, this is your meal. This is the perfect meal for you. It's for $6. You can get this combo features two tacos, um, jack-in-the-box halfsy fries, that's half curly, half french fries, a 20-ounce drink, and your choice of one of their four new late-night sandwiches or entrees, all for 6 bucks. So, again, two tacos, fries, a big drink, and wait till you hear what the new late-night menu offerings are. 
the stacked grilled cheeseburger. It's a sourdough grilled cheese sandwich on top, a cheeseburger on the bottom. The brunch burger, fried eggs, hash browns, bacon, cheese, and a burger patty. The loaded nuggets, chicken nuggets drowning in two kinds of cheese, ranch, and bacon. And my personal favorite, the exploding cheesy chicken sandwich. It's a chicken sandwich with mozzarella cheese sticks and gooey white cheese sauce. That's right. It's the perfect food for when you can't decide what late-night appetizer to get. Just get them all. Just get them all, my friends. Okay, um, that brings us to the Dope of the Week. And we'll make it quick because I'm running out of time. The Dope of the Week this week starts with the U.S. Constitution. As you know, the U.S. Constitution, one of the amendments, says that everyone is entitled to free speech. You have the right to say what you want with a few minor exceptions, such as yelling fire in a crowded movie house. You can't give away state secrets. You can't put the country in danger. You can't lie about someone or accuse them of a crime. But other than that, you're free to say what you wish. The one thing that the First Amendment does not protect us against is stupidity. The First Amendment does not guarantee the right to correct, spell check, or edit that which you are going to say. Which brings us to the sad, sad case of the Ultraviolet Group, a group devoted to uh, ending domestic violence. And in the wake of all the Ray Rice stuff, the Ray Rice controversy and everything else the NFL is going through, they have been flying banners over NFL stadiums at highly publicized games, and the banners say, Goodell must go. And again, that is your right. You're not inciting a riot. That's perfectly there, well within their rights to do that, and it's a fairly low-key way to voice your sentiment about NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. But this particular night, and I'm going back now a couple Thursdays to the Thursday night debacle between the Atlanta Falcons and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The banner, first of all, is flying over the Georgia Dome, which, as you know, is a dome. So you look up inside the Georgia Dome, you see steel and girders and rafters, but no planes. So, wasted effort, maybe, perhaps, but the intriguing part about this particular evening, in addition to flying a banner over a stadium that has a dome, is the banner was majestic and outlandish and stands out in a crowd, and it's a great idea, and it's spelled wrong. Goodell, G-O-O-D-E-L. Goodell. Goodell must go. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell must go. So, if you're going to make such a public display on a nationally televised Thursday night game, pick a game that's not inside and spell the banner correctly, please. 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 You know, the more pleases I say, the more important it is. Please. The more heartfelt the plea. Please. Please. Spell it correctly. So... Ultraviolet, a wonderful organization with a wonderful plan to get some publicity out there. For your constitutionally protected right not to edit and not to spell check, you, or whoever was responsible for that banner, you, or the Britannus and Rage Show Dope of the Week. The um, There's an honorable mention here, by the way. Um, the fans at U.S. Sailor Field on, on Paul Canerco night when they were saying goodbye to him, a bunch of them tried to spell out with cards the words, thank you, Polly." And when the camera first flashed over to them, it, there was an H and a K, and Polly was kind of spelled out, but it essentially read, Pauly. Um, when the camera came back over, of course, the it was spelled correctly. They had done it right, but... You're going to hold up signs and be on camera. It's a good idea if you actually practice it once or twice. Or maybe not have quite so many adult beverages before you're going to do that. All right, speaking of adult beverages. I got nothing. You thought I was going to say I'm going to go have one, but that would be highly unprofessional and not very family friendly. I would like to say, though, thank you as always. 
for making this a part of your life. It was the Bitterness and Rage show. Hope you enjoyed it. It was an action-packed, crammed, full of goodness, like butter in your coffee kind of show. Um, if you want to get in touch with me, at Bitter and Rage on your Twitter machines, bitternessandrage.podbean.com, bitternessandrage at gmail.com. Subscribe to the show, folks. It's 10 down, a million to go. Can't do it without you. I want to thank you for listening as always. It's a pleasure. I know you've got many, 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 many podcast choices, and you've chosen to spend your podcast time with me. Don't forget that the Bitterness and Rage show is a Miyasoti Cologne production, and I will see you on the other side, Ray. Ray.